everybody. Go ahead and grab a seat. It's wonderful to be with you today. My name's Mike. I would love to invite you to grab your notes out of your handout. If you want to follow along, you'll see we're starting a new series today called Don't Waste It. And uh, today the topic is time. Uh, you know, kind of uh, nice that we're, you know, we shifted daylight saving time. We're thinking about time today. We want to start uh, with a quote from that, that great theologian, Johnny Manziel. And, uh, and this, is, this is what, he, he just recently gave an interview with ESPN, and so this was the quote, I think they put it out on social media. He says, I refuse to let my entire life of sports from the age of four be squandered by partying. Now, if you don't know who Johnny Manziel is, welcome to the world of uh, sports tabloid news, right? That, that Johnny Manziel, he was an incredibly gifted quarterback. In fact, um, few have ever played that position at the college level as well and as effectively as Johnny Manziel. He came in, in fact, his nickname while he was in college was Mr. Football, and uh, he was the only freshman to ever win the Heisman Trophy. So you're talking about this is an incredible, incredible amount of talent. And yet he went into the NFL first round draft pick. And within two years, he was washed out of the NFL. And the main reason, if you're unfamiliar with the story, the main reason was addiction, uh, different kinds of, of substances. He, he loved the life of the party kind of a, a thing, and just immaturity, right? That, that he's, he's a young man given incredible amounts of money and accolades, etc. cetera. But, but what's interesting, if you think about Johnny Manziel, I would really encourage you, instead of thinking about what a waste or just, you know, writing him off, I, I, I would encourage you to do what I did for him this week, just pray for him. Just pray that the Lord would actually restore to him life and purpose and wholeness and, and that the, the quote that Johnny Manziel said would actually be a true kind of a reality for his life that, that he says, I refuse to let my entire life be squandered, right? Squandered by parting. And, and you just think about that word squandered for a moment. I have a feeling that's a, a fairly universal sentiment for all of us. We, we refuse to let the story of our life be a life that we squandered our time, right? You, you would hate it if, you know, you, you got to the end of your life and you look back over the course of all the years that you've lived and said, man, I am so glad that I squandered most of them, you know? Like, you, would, you, you don't want that. In fact, we, we know that life is made up of time. We know that we have a limited number of years and of months and of weeks and of days. And, and so we, we get driven crazy when other people waste our time. Is this not true? Think about it. Have you, have you ever been at, uh, you know, some kind of a, a counter, retail establishment? You're at the cell phone store or you're at a car rental counter. Or maybe you're at the, the DMV, and, and the, the people, the dear souls that are working behind the counter, they are working. The setting that they are moving at is the slowest possible setting they have. They, in fact, the only slower setting that they might have would be death, right? Like, like it's just so slow. It reminds me of, of this video clip uh, from Zootopia. Maybe you saw this 
uh, with your kids. Go ahead and roll this clip. Flash is the fastest guy in there. You need something done, he's on it. I hope so. We are really fighting the clock, and every minute counts. Wait. They're all slots? That's actually how one of my kids gets ready for school in the morning. Uh, but it drives us crazy, right? When you're, you're way, you feel like your time is being wasted. Or maybe you're trying to watch a YouTube video, and before you can watch the YouTube video, you have to watch the whole ad first. And you're just thinking, oh, I'm gonna die soon, you know? Why is my time being wasted like this? Or maybe you're in a meeting, and there's really no discernible purpose for the meeting, and there's no actionable items coming out of that meeting, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, this is wasting my time. And it drives us absolutely crazy to have other people waste our time. But the truth of the matter is, the biggest time waster in your life, and, and in mine, is not other people. It's ourself. We're the ones who waste our time the most. And so kind of the umbrella question that I want to put out there, I want it to kind of haunt us as we go through this message, is the question, how do I use my time as effectively as I expect other people to use my time? Right, we expect other people to use our time well. How do we use our time as effectively as we expect other people to use our time? And, and there's some statistics that I found uh, in, in preparation for this week, and I'll just throw these out. If the average American lifespan is about 75 years, just imagine that average lifespan is about 75 years. If that's the case, then we spend 26 years asleep. Just head tilted back, saw and logs, just absolutely out. 26 years of our life just sleeping. Now, you might argue, well, that's actually an interesting thing, because if you spend 26 of years of your life sleeping, that actually might allow you to live the rest of your years more effectively, more joyfully, etc. And I think that's a good point. But then I also found that the average American, if we live to be 75 years, we actually spend about seven years of our life trying to fall asleep, <laughs> which that's just horrible news, right? That's, that's the worst news. Uh, the average American, if they live to be 75, spends 11 years at work, if they work kind of full 40-hour weeks, but also spend 11 years in front of the television. Same amount of time we spend working, we spend watching TV. I found that the average, again, we're talking real big, stereotypical, broad stroke. The, the average American woman, if she lives to be 75 years old, she will spend 136 days of her life getting ready. Now, men, uh, men uh, typically, again, these are broad strokes, men tend to spend uh, about 46 days of their life getting ready. Which, gentlemen, it means we're 90 days less prepared than our female counterparts. 
Uh, we spent about five years online surfing the internet. We spent about four years on the phone. The average teenager sends 100 texts a day, text messages a day. I found that, uh, that uh, the average uh, person would spend three years of their lives washing their clothes. Three years just washing the clothes. Some of you guys are like, I'm sure I spend less than that. All right, you need to get a little on it there, bud. Um, we spend 11 hours of our day interacting with digital media. And here's actually the most tragic stat I found. If a, if a baby is born today, the anticipation is by the time they are seven years old, they will have spent one whole year of their life in front of a screen. One year out of seven. And, and when you start thinking about it this way, when you start parsing it up, you realize that there are a lot more uh, opportunities to use our time. There's a lot more that we can actually do with it. And this is why Paul writes in Ephesians 5, verse 15, so be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Let's, let's go ahead and take a look at the first half of that. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't be careless, right? We need to be intentional. We need to be thoughtful. We need to be careful about the way we live, not as unwise, not as foolish, but as wise, and then he says this, this great line, making the most of every opportunity. What's interesting, when you start to delve into that phrase, that, that idea of opportunity, you realize that he's talking about your time, making the most of your time. But it's not just any word that's used for time. It's the Greek word kairos. And kairos means significant time. A pivotal moment. It's, it, it's a weighty kind of a moment that, that's not just chronologically moving from one minute to the next. The Greeks have a, a word for that. It's chronos. So he's not talking about chronological time. He's talking about opportune time. This significant time, this, this time, this moment that's pregnant with meaning. God will bring you to these moments again and again and again. And Paul says, and make the most of them. Make the most of them. Why? Because the days are evil. And this is not some kind of a dire warning, but it's just an appropriate challenge recognizing, hey, the days are dark, so bring your light. The days are cold, so bring your love, right? And that's, that's the argument here. That's how we make the most of our time, maximizing the time that God has given. So I want to start this message with looking at the negative a little bit, why, how it is that we end up wasting our time, then we're going to move to the positive, how to maximize it. So here, here's the, the, if you're filling in the blanks, the first fill-in is we end up wasting our time by not seeing the big picture. We miss the big picture. You know if you've ever put together a jigsaw puzzle that it helps when you're looking at a picture of what the completed project is to look like rather than just trying to find pieces that fit together by shape, right? If you can see the big picture, you know what it is you're building toward. And most of us, we focus on either the last thing or the next thing. This is how so many of us end up living our lives. We focus on the last thing or the next thing. 
We look at our days as a series of points we have to be at, points that we have to accomplish, and we simply move from one to one to one. A good day then for us is a day that we hit most of the points we need to hit. And yet if we end up living our lives like that, that's what the rat race is all about. That's living like a gerbil on the wheel, just running as fast as we can and never moving ahead. We need to see the big picture. We need to create space and listen to God. Maybe journal more, but we, we want to get our direction from the Lord, the big picture of the life that he wants us to build. Next fill-in, we waste our time with good distractions. Good distractions. We do a lot of good things, but we might miss the right thing that we're supposed to be doing. In fact, the worst use of our time is to do something well that ought not be done at all. If you do something great, you're great at it, but it really doesn't need to be done at all. In fact, this is an area of life I like to call productive procrastination. Right, it's where you know you have something to do. You got a report that's due. You got to do your taxes, kind of tax season here, and you got to do your taxes. But instead of doing my taxes, I really need to clean out my closet first. And it's just a nice three-hour detour, right? You take that detour, but but then your your project, that thing you have to do, it still is sitting there undone. In fact, there's a a book that's uh, been out, a very popular book by Brian Tracy, On Time Management, and the title of his book is called Eat That Frog. And and the message metaphor throughout this whole book is these tasks that we have to do, he uses the metaphor of a frog. So here's one of the lessons that he uses. He says, if you have to eat a live frog, it doesn't pay to sit and look at it. Ah, That's a good truth. If you have to eat a live frog, it doesn't pay to sit and look at it. Of course, most of the people I talked to in between services said, if I had to eat a live frog, I would deep fry it first. That that there's this challenge. No, you can't, right? If you have to eat a live frog, how do you eat it? You don't just sit and look at it. You don't just stare at it. But the longer you stare at it, the less delicious it will become. And it will never become delicious because it's a live frog. So the challenge is, if, if you have to eat a live frog, Man, slam that puppy like an oyster shooter, right? Like, get it down, get it gone, stifle your gag reflex, and then move on with the stuff that you really do want to do, the the stuff that you want to turn your attention to. But the truth is, procrastination will not make that task any more desirable. In fact, it will simply make it more and more intimidating the longer you stare at it. Okay, so that's another way we waste our time. We waste our time by being selfish. That's the next fill-in. Selfishness is that umbrella of all of the other wasted time that happens in our life. It happens because of our selfishness. It's the root of all that's wrong in our lives. And in contrast to selfishness, here's the picture that Jesus paints for us. This is what Jesus says in John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Underline that phrase. He's not doing his own will. He's doing the will of him who sent me. He's not living selfishly. He's living selflessly, doing what the Father wants him to do. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Not my will, but God the Father's will. 
And it's a good reminder that your life is given to you on loan from God the Father. Your days are are gifts to you. Your hours, they're, they're, they're precious gifts from the Father. And so they're not yours. They're God's. He's he's given them to you, and we're not to use them selfishly, but rather we're to use them for his glory as he would have us use them. Next fill-in. We waste time by buying the lie that we don't have enough time. Right? We buy this lie. How many, show of hands, how many of you have ever said that phrase, I don't have enough time? Anybody? Yeah, so it's most of us in here. And, and that's kind of true. It's a part of our vernacular. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. And yet, the things that are important, we do have time for. This is what the scripture says in Psalm 138.8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. The Lord will in, uh, fulfill his purpose for me. Isn't that encouraging? That God has a purpose for your life and God will fulfill his purpose for your life. If if you love him and you walk with him and you desire uh, his will for you, he will fulfill his purpose for you. Not he might, if you're lucky, it may happen. He will. That God has a reason for you being here. God loves you. He has a desire for your life to make an impact and God will fulfill that. There is enough time for you to accomplish what God has for you to accomplish. And if you feel like there's not enough time for you to do what God's calling you to do, it means you're filling your time with things he's not calling you to fill your time with. And so we have to make some adjustments there. Next fill-in. We waste our time by holding grudges, exhausting our emotional energy on things deserving little attention. So you got to track with me on this one. This is where you get a negative email that comes in your inbox. You get a critical comment. You, you hear through sort of the grapevine that there's, there's chatter and it's negative about you. And, and, and this kind of thoughtless, dismissive email or, or careless comment, it can derail a whole afternoon. It can uh, infect your whole life. If, if you're good at this, it, it might even destroy your entire week of joy. And, and most of the infuriating emails that we receive, they're barely worth the attention it takes to read, to see if there's anything you need to correct, and then to delete, right? That's about it. But so often, we just end up stewing on things, and we end up spinning emotionally. We, we rewind, and we reread, and then we recraft an email in our heads that we may never write. And if we write that email, we may never send. And if we send that email, we may always regret. And so, you know, there's this recognition that we just spin and spin and spin. And then there's another lie that we tend to believe, and, and that lie is, well, if I could just make it to this level of victory, then people would not criticize me any longer. If I could just make it to this level, if my business could be this successful, if my bank account could be this full, if my kids could accomplish this much, if, you know, whatever, if I could get to this certain level, then I would be beyond criticism. That's a lie, right? That, that's just, that's just a, uh, you know, can you say pipe dream? That's a pipe dream. I, I don't even actually know what a pipe dream is. A, a dream in a pipe. I have no idea. But the idea is that, that you can't get to a place where you're going to be on criticism. It just won't happen. I'll share a story from my own family's life. 
My wife, Jody, is a soccer coach. She's been a soccer coach for all three of our kids. I coached my kids when they were little, when they were tiny, when they knew very little about soccer, and I knew more about soccer, and, and so I could help them out. But, uh, that, you know, that season has passed. My wife is the one with the skills. She's the one with the know-how. She's the one with the passion. So she's become our kids' uh, soccer coaches as they've, as they've grown into their teen years. And there's three different levels of soccer, by the way. There's the rec level, which is like two months a year. There's the select level, which is like nine, ten months a year. And then there's the premier level, which is 12 months a year. Jody coaches. My kids play at the select level. So they're playing about ten months a year. Well, Jody's a head coach of my son's under-15 soccer team called Vortex. And when she stepped in to be the coach, she's the only female coach of a boys' team in the entire league. And so there was all kinds of negative chatter. There was all kinds of stuff. Oh, you know, does a woman have enough chops to figure out how to lead squirrely boys, young men, and, and do they have the know-how to coach them into victory? And it's just, it's just shocking how much yuck happened because Jody stepped into this role. And not only that, but it continues every single week. She shows up, she's wearing her coaching gear, she's on the field for the game, and the opposing coach comes over and doesn't address my wife, the head coach, but goes to the assistant coach, who's a male, because obviously the head coach must be a male. And it's just an assumption that happens again and again. Every, every referee in every game has made exactly the same assumption. And so you're just talking about this constant kind of negative chatter. And then there's an assumption that we make on our side. Well, maybe if, if they could win a few games, maybe then the negativity would stop. So this year, Jody's team, my son's team, Vortex, they won more games than any other team in the entire league. Yeah, they, they, they won the most games. They won first in their division throughout the regular year. They joined this tournament at the end where they were playing all kinds of premier teams. They went undefeated. They took the Founders' Cup. And just recently, Jody was going on the ranking. They rank every team in Washington State. And for that age level, Jody's team is ranked 13th in Washington State. Only 12 teams higher ranked than hers. If it sounds like I'm bragging on my wife, I absolutely am bragging on my wife. And it's a ton of investment. It's a, it's a ton of just, you know, perseverance and steadfastness. And yet you would think that with all the firsts and with the high ranking and with the Founders Cup and all, the, 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 the negativity would stop and the assumptions would stop. And of course, they've not. And in fact, it, it brings up a, 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 this other reality, kind of this inverse reality, that the more victory you have in your life, it might actually put a spotlight on you to receive more criticism. And so we have to get to the place where we understand how to deal with that negativity appropriately. And so here's the challenge. The challenge is, and, and uh, I learned this from my old boss, my, Pastor Rick Warren down in Southern California. He says, Criticism and praise are like chewing gum. You should put it in, chew it, get the flavor for a while, and then spit it out because you can't make a meal out of either. Right? So you just receive. And now, and I'm talking to, to those of you who, you know, maybe you get an email criticizing and it's something that you actually do need to correct. 
it's something that you actually do need to apologize for, you, you need to make a change, then please, by all means, do it. Because as Christ followers, that's what we want. We want to respond to criticism because we want to be better. But on the other hand, if you're, if you're serving Jesus well, and you're, you're diligent at your job, and, and you're making the most of your parenting, and you're volunteering, or you're coaching, you're doing these things, and, and you're giving it your absolute best, then friends, please don't invest the emotional energy that drags you down and steals your joy. It will waste your time, and it will waste your life, okay? Next fill-in is to not waste your time. All right. Oh, sorry, I, I passed. Hold on, let's go back. This is what Paul says. So in, when it comes to this idea of criticism and how to respond, Paul says this in Galatians. He, he's, he's really clear, and I, I use this as a challenge for myself. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So here's the question. Who does Paul want to please? God. Right? He wants to please Jesus. Now, if he pleases people in the process, that's beautiful. But that's not his goal. His goal is, by the way, just so you know, I know I, I, I've read Paul's stuff for years. You know, I know it backwards and forwards. Paul was also not trying to be obnoxious to people. Okay? That wasn't his goal either. His goal simply was to please God with his life. As we please God, uh, other people, they might come on board. They might be pleased. They might be a part of that. Or they might stand on the sidelines and criticize. But either way, that's not my goal. My goal is to please the Lord. And this brings us then to that original challenge. That's why he says, so be careful how you live. Be careful. Make the most of every kairos moment. Make the most of every weighty, significant opportunity you can. And then he wraps that statement up in Ephesians 5. He says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to to do. So when you're in a Kairos moment, when you have a parenting moment, or we have an investment opportunity, or, or God brings you to a conversation, and now it's spiritual, now it's weighty, now, now there's eternity on the line, we need to understand what God's will is for us in that moment, right? We, we need to be receptive to his leadership. What is your will for me in this Kairos moment? All right. So here's how we not waste our time. These are the, the good, the positive side of the equation. The first here, invest wisely the time you have for the thing that matters most. Wisely the time you have for the thing that matters most. And this has to do with our purpose. Our purpose is understanding what God's will is for us, the, the contribution that he wants our lives to make to humanity. And What's interesting is that time does seem to be a bit elastic, that it does stretch a little bit for the things that we want to put in them, the big rocks that are important for our lives. And the reason why I know this to be true is because have you ever noticed that even though you're busy, even though your lives are filled and overfilled, generally speaking, that whenever there is an emergency, you actually have time to deal with it when you have to deal with it. Have you ever noticed this? You always have time to deal with a, a, a broken car. Because if you can't get anywhere, now you have to deal with this. You always have time to deal with a flooded basement. You're not just going to leave it till next Tuesday. Oh, I don't have time until, you know. No, you, you deal with it right now. Why? Because your house is underwater. Do you see what I'm saying? You always have time to deal with emergencies. So the trick is to 
to treat your priorities like emergencies, right? Make them fit into your schedule and then build the rest of your life around them. In fact, I, I, I want to share this equation with you because I do think it's true. It, the equation is, I don't have enough time. What it really means is, this is not a priority to me. If I don't have enough time, it means it's not a priority. You might say it's a priority, but if you don't have enough time for it, it's not really a priority, right? Because you make time for your priorities in your life. And, and we get a chance, God gives us this idea of stewardship, that we can steward our calendars, we can steward our days, so that our priorities, our purpose, fits in. So how do we find our purpose? Let me give you some helpful steps. Decide now what you want your legacy to be. And I would, I would offer this to you in a form of a challenge for this week. Decide now what you want your legacy to be. Write a paragraph this week, write it in your journal, write it you know, in notes that you keep in your Bible, but write a paragraph. What do you want to pass on to the next generation with your life? What do you want your legacy to be? One paragraph. And then underneath that paragraph, write it in one sentence, one line. See if you can boil it down to one line, something that maybe even would fit on a tombstone, right? That you could put on your tombstone that everyone who ever passes by would know, oh, that's what she stood for. That's what was important to him. We found a tombstone. Let's show you this picture. Uh, this, this guy loved bacon. <laughs> but you and I, we need to set our sights a little bit higher, right? We, we, need, to, we need to make sure that we're shooting a little bit higher than that. Next, next fill in. Ask, what am I passionate about? What makes my heart beat? What am I uniquely wired to contribute to the planet? What keeps me awake? What fires my enthusiasm? And you might have one predominant passion. You might have one or two primary passions over the course of a lifetime, but it's not something that you're going to change out, you know, weekly, monthly. It's not like passion du jour, right, where you just get to choose. Uh, it's, it's, it's like, no, you know, for the first half of my life, I want to invest in this, and I'm going to start, I'm going to build this thing, I'm going to grow it, I'm going to make it mature, I'm going to then hand it over for the next half of my life. I want to, you know, invest in ministry, I want to go overseas, I want to, whatever it is. And, and you've got like a driving passion, maybe two, over the course of, of your life. But once you understand what this is, it will help other things fall off the table. They'll just fall off the radar so that you can primarily be about what it is that the legacy that God wants you to build, the passion that he's given you to go after. And there are many things that come against this, right? Come against legacy, come against passion. I'll just, I'll share one with you. And in humility, just so you know, this message, by the way, it's not a message to you as much as it's a message with you. Because I'm in this with you. We're all in sort of the same boat. So let me just share one thing that tends to pull passion away, pulls legacy away. Netflix. <laughs> now, now, listen, just before we get into I, I just want you to know, I was a little bit ignorant about the whole net, Netflix thing. Um, I, I, I had access to it. My wife and I, we would occasionally watch a show on the computer, uh, like maybe in bed before we went to sleep, and that was fun. And, um, but recently, I, I have recognized the incredible force that Netflix can be. 
sort of the gravitational pull that comes with it. And it, it's really through no fault of my own. Uh, in the mail, our, our cable company sent us new boxes for our television sets. And so I installed them that last week. And as I installed them, then I found out afterwards, my whole family did, that Netflix is actually now available on all of our televisions as well. And I recognize what an incredible tractor beam it, it can be. Um, you know that if you've ever, well, here's the deal. If you don't have Netflix, don't get it. <laughs> Enjoy your freedom, okay? And, but if you do have Netflix, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your episode ends, and then immediately it says, your next episode will start in 20 seconds, 19, 18, 17. And all of a sudden, you're in this quandary, like, oh, wait, what am I doing for the next hour of my life? What? In uh, 12, 11, I don't even have time to go to the bathroom. I, I got to make a decision, you know. And you're just going through like that next hour of my life, all the stuff I wanted to do. Do I delay it? Do I postpone it? Do I forever exit from my life so that I can watch this next episode? And then too late, it's already started. And again, I'm not like, you know, so down. I'm not like it's foreboding. I'm not, you know, saying you got to remove that from your... Here's the thing. The, the truth of the matter is, if, if you are consuming a truckload of anything, if you're consuming a truckload, just a giant, you know, you know 18-wheeler dump truck, you know, download, you're, you're doing social media like that, or you're gaming like that, or you're, uh, you know, news feeding like that, or, you know, whatever, sports centering like that, whatever it might be, that in small doses, these things are fine, but, but consumed by the truckload, you recognize these things come against our passion, and they come against our legacy, and we're the ones responsible for wasting our time, and so friends, the challenge is, no, 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 let's, let's operate out of what's important. Let's operate out of our legacy. Let's operate out of our passion. And then lastly, if you're filling this in, prioritize your relationship with Jesus and his church. Prioritize your relationship with Jesus and his church. Defining what matters most, your purpose must be centered on Jesus. Glorifying him as the ultimate aim for this time. Our life has come from God as a gift, and so offering him glory and praise with our days, with our time, that has to be what is central here. Right, we want to make sure, we want to make sure that we understand. When we stand before Jesus, right, we're going to stand face to face with Jesus when this life is over. And I would hate for anyone who's journeying here at Overlake to stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for the 77 years you gave me. I'm sorry I only spent 18 months with you. Right? We, nobody, no, I don't want anyone to have that as our story. So Jesus has to be central. And again, what's important? Your family's important. Your career's important. Your self-care's important. There's a lot of stuff that's important. Jesus is most important. Because when you have that relationship with Jesus and you're intimate with Jesus and you're walking with Jesus, then he gives you the power and the wisdom to love your family best. He gives you the power and the wisdom to be the best spouse you can be. He gives you the power and wisdom to know how to leverage your time and your career, your workplace, and, and all the other things fall into place when Jesus is at 
the center. So we need to prioritize our relationship with Christ and his church. And I say this because it's biblical. I kind of wish I was given this part of the message in some other church, in a buddy's church. Because then I could, I could argue this and I could go after forcefully and without any hint of you know, self-service um, you know, in, in this. But, but the truth of the matter is we have to recognize that we are called to be a part of God's church. And if you're here at Overlake, that means God's church here at Overlake. And I want you to know, you know, this morning, friends, you, you've been served well at Overlake. As you've journeyed with Overlake, you've been served well. Overlake is a beautiful church. Your children are being cared for well. Your students are being cared for well. If you're wrestling and you need support, we have support groups that will care for you, celebrate recovery groups. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you're being cared for well. And Overlake is paying its bills. Overlake is supporting our missionaries. Overlake's moving forward in our community. We're blessing our city. We're serving Jesus around the world. So, so all this stuff's going well. I'm not trying to say, hey, we're missing out when you're not involved. I'm saying to you, you're missing out if you're not involved. You're the one who's living a, uh, it's a diminished life. No, you were designed to be a part of this beautiful, eternal thing called His Church, capital C. And I would hate for any of us to miss out on that. And, and you go, well, what is it that I'm missing out on? Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 3. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, please circle those two words, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Immeasurably more. That's what you're missing out on. Immeasurably more means more effectiveness and more joy, more love, more time, more abundance, more quality relationships, more resources, more accomplished for his kingdom. It means the ultimate purpose of everything finds its conclusion in Jesus and his church. And there will be a day, friends, when we do stand before Jesus. And there will be a day when we see his church, capital C, assembled before him, worshiping and praising, bowing down, throwing our crowns at the feet of Jesus. And there will be a day when suddenly it dawns on us as we look at his church, the living organism that spans the centuries, that spans the continents, every nation and every tongue and every tribe, uh, every ethnicity, that, that we see his church and it's beautiful and we'll say how did I miss it how did I isolate myself from this beautiful expression that you've invited me into and so we're going to wrap up our time together now and, and I am sure every single one of us there are a few minor changes that we could make that would help us use our time more effectively but for some of us in the room right now there's just one change and if we made this change, it would impact everything about the, the course of our life. It would impact our eternity. And that is if you're here today and you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never said yes to a relationship of love with him, then friends, I want to I challenge you right now. This is a Kairos moment. This is a moment pregnant with meaning. Because of how you respond to his love, 
That could change everything about your life. I, I know it's a, a little bit interesting, but I want you to think about Jesus for a moment. You know, it's easy to argue Jesus was the best time manager history has ever seen. And the reason why you could argue it is because he only lived 33 years. His public ministry was three years only. And yet in that three years, what he chose to do, how he chose to invest, what he taught, how he lived, when he was crucified on the cross, three days later, he was raised again to new, new life. And in the midst of that small slice of history, everything has been changed. Jesus loves you. And how he, what he accomplished on the cross was forgiveness for your sins, grace for your life, an invitation to be with him in eternity forever. And the challenge is, how will you respond to this Kairos moment? Right? So what I wanted to ask you to do, why don't you stand with me now? We're going to pray. And I want to give you an opportunity. Specifically, I'm going to pray that you would have a chance to say yes to Jesus, that you would step across the line. The Bible calls it belief or faith, but that you would believe in Jesus, that you would receive the gift of his grace and his love. So we're going to pray that right now. And if you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus, then I want you to join me in prayer. And I want you to pray that you would be able to use your time that he's given you well but specifically, when we pray and we give an invitation, I want you to pray for brothers and sisters in this room who are doing just that, stepping across the line and receiving the gift of Jesus. So why don't we bow together? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you. We know that because you had a clear purpose in mind, that your desire to do what the Father called you to do, you wanted to do the Father's will and not your will. You wanted to say what the Father said. You wanted to do what the Father did and nothing else. And because of that clarity, Jesus, you used your time here on earth so well that it impacted everything, everybody in all the nations. Eternity is different because of you. And we are so thankful for that. We ask that you would help us use our time well. We, we want to live effectively. We want to live well, lives filled with love and purpose for your glory. Help us to do that, Jesus. But right now, we want to give those men and women in the room an opportunity to receive you, to receive your love, to say yes to the grace that you offer from the foot of the cross, to say yes to the life lived in intimacy with you and joy with you and love with you and then to be in eternity in heaven with you. And I just pray right now for my brothers and sisters that in the quietness of their heart, they would step across the line of faith, that they would say right now in their hearts, yes, Jesus, yes, I believe in you. Yes, I receive you. Yes, I wanna walk with you. I wanna live with you. I don't even know what all that means and I certainly have questions but I want to be in a relationship of love with you that starts now and lasts forever. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name, amen.